the diamond I realized the Empathy Museum presents Mile and My Shoes. Quite a nice pair of plain black trainers. Very new looking. Don't look like they've been used very much or just kept in very good condition. There's a lovely white upper sole and a black undersole. It's a little bit of what could be described as not quite gold, sort of browny, light brown at the very back of the of the shoe. They're a size nine. They're not too they're just they're clean. There's not too much intricacy in terms of the design here. And they're from H and M, available in most high streets. Doesn't look like this person. He's maybe used these shoes a couple of times. But he looks like he takes care of them. Definitely takes care of his trainers. These shoes belong to Peter Atakpo. This is his story. My name is Peter Omo Atakpo. Uh, I'm from Nigeria originally. I came to the UK in the year 2010. No, 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 no. Oh, saving it. Yeah, 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 please, yeah. How long has it been since? <laughs> People call me everything. <laughs> well, I refer to myself as a barber. And I work at a barber shop called Emmanuel's. That's in Clapham Junction in southwest London. It's chaotic. A lot of noise to start with. Pockets of conversations from everywhere. <laughs> so each and every barber would be having a conversation with your clients. How are you together in 20 years or so? <laughs> and even the clients amongst themselves will be having conversations as well. And sometimes we'll have general conversation that everyone gets into. <laughs> everyone is talking and everybody wants to be heard. There are some people that come to the barbershop without fail every week, sometimes twice or three times a week. And I've never cut their hair. I've never seen any barber cut their hair. They just come, sit down and just chat. And spend hours, six hours, sometimes even longer. They just sit there and, and it's because of the banter. I think I was about 12 years old when, when I did my first haircut. I was born in the mid-70s. I grew up in the 80s. There weren't any clippers or any electric machines. What we played around with was razor blades and combs. Press the blade to the comb with my fingers and actually cut the hair. Then just make sure, pray to God that it never sleeps. Because if it does, <laughs> you could get caught. I remember my youngest brother getting caught at one time and he was bleeding and my dad was really, really very, very upset with me. My younger brother, whom I'm four years older than, wouldn't let me try that. <laughs> but my youngest brother was cool. That's how I started. 
Peter. Say cheese, Peter. Peter. <laughs> Even though from a young age I'd always been into barbering, I never thought that I'll become a professional barber. Imagine having parents that were academics. You know, all the money they spent sending you to school, getting private tutors to come home and teach you. They're spending all the money so you become a barber. So even as a child, I never really thought that I was going to be a barber. Until I traveled to South Africa, as I say, after university. I had a friend that owned a barber shop. Like when I say some people come to the barbershop to hang out or whatever, I was one of those people. I mean, I saw the relationship, just the banter, and I discovered, what this is, this is really good, you know. Probably discovered myself and just discovered that actually I'm into people. And that kind of attracted me into the trade. And, and then I realized, okay, I can actually do this. I'm in business. Yeah. On a busy day, I said I do about 20 heads. So in a week, I do about 80 to 100 heads. But the biggest challenge is standing up. You have to be on your feet, you know, to do this job. And one thing is your shoes. You know, the shoes you wear while doing this job has to be very, very comfortable. So more often than not, my preferred shoes would be running shoes. You know, so whatever you can run in, then you can actually cut hair in. And before you knew it, it was lunchtime. We're not lunch. <laughs> it's a place where people tend to really relax when they're there. When you're in the, sitting in the chair, you have that proximity with your barber. You have that closeness with him. And there's always the touch, you know. Because I have to touch your head to cut your hair. I have to touch your chin to shave it. You know, so that contact is there. So if you're receptive, if you're the type that's willing to listen and to empathize with them, it kind of creates the atmosphere for them to open up. I used to get surprised when I first started doing this job how open people were to me, but not anymore. You, you just think of it, I've heard it. There's so many people that I've come across, you know, in my chair, 20 minutes at least with each one of them and with various stories to tell. So I'll have a wife come to tell me about your husband. He's your client and he talks to you. Talk to him, this is what he's doing. But don't say, I told you. And sometimes it's like, how do I deal with this? How do I bring up the subject without him knowing that you've told me? You know, and it's just, it's hard, it's hard, you know, because you don't want to give the wrong advice. And I'm a barber, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or anything, so I'm not trained. Welcome to my world. Welcome to my world. I've heard people telling me, like, you're the first person that I'm telling this and telling me about very sad, sad, very sad news that weighs you down, you know, it's just how I manage, how I cope sometimes. I don't even, I don't, I, I don't even know how I cope, you know. The biggest one that I recall is just someone telling me how much longer he's got to live. I, I, you know what, with the benefit of hindsight, I wish he never told me because, yeah, he, 
he gave me a year. That's what he was given to live for. But he didn't even make four months, if I recalled. But that was hell. And when he told me that first, I'm thinking, how do I deal with this? Who do I tell, you know? And if, not even that, just knowing that. And then the next time he came, what was the conversation going to be like? What do you talk about? What do you say? The Clippers do stop. Because if you keep the Clippers running, again, it's almost disrespectful. Because this is so... It's so deep what they're saying that you need, you really need to stop everything and just take a second, take a moment and actually just absorb what it is they're telling you. And doing this job, I've learned sometimes you don't really have to say much or whatever. It's just listen. You know, if they have anything, if they want to talk, just listen. Yeah. But they want a haircut. That's what they've come there for. You can't leave their hair half cut or something. So you just summon the courage and just carry on and finish it. Yeah, but when it happens like that, I tell you what, the haircut is not, really, is not that great afterwards, you know, because you're just about finishing it, yeah. It could be heartbreaking, but it's also fulfilling in some regards when there's some people that you see you're making it. Not a major impact on them, because, again, the bottom line, at the end of the day, I'm just your barber. But at least there's some kind of influence you're making. So sometimes I see young people come in, say, when they're secondary school or lower secondary school, before they go into college, the friends and everything. I see, I just observe and watch people's lives just kind of go different paths, if you know what I mean. There's a boy, good, 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 good kid. I can't fault him in any way. I've got at least 18 years on him, age-wise and everything. But I consider him a friend. I met him when he was 16, just about finished his secondary school, I think. And then we went on his first trip to, to Africa, to Ghana to be precise. And when he came back, told me all about it, and the friendship he struck. And then, and then he got into university. He wasn't so sure about what subject to do, what course to do, and all of that. And... I eventually told him it was your call because I told him my experience. I was forced into doing something that I didn't even enjoy. And he did economics and came up with the first class. Again, so proud even when he had it. He came and he told me, yeah, I made it. And I was excited for him. But he surprised me one day. He came and I finished cutting his hair and he gave me a tip. Haircut is £10. He gave me £20 and said... They're like, yeah, it's my first paycheck, and this is for all the interesting conversations, all the advice and everything and all of that. It was really, it was very emotional. It was very emotional for me, and he appreciated everything. So, you know, so these are the things that when I go to work and I meet people and all of that, these are just the things that just make me happy. You know, you hear that news and just go like, oh, I'm so happy, you know, and uh, all that day you're just happy. Beyond cutting hair, a barber shop actually brings um, a community together. There's a word that I like in South Africa that's called Ubuntu. And Ubuntu actually means togetherness, you know. It's just empathy, just empathising with, with people and just being together, you know, as a community. And that's what actually really happens in a barber shop.
Peter's story was produced by Rose Dallara-Baiti. His shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by the MPF Museum's A Mile In My Shoes exhibition. The shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we are going next.